Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Stu with him. It's another week and therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, uh, I was joined by Harry McVie, frontman of White Lies. Um, absolute gentleman. We had a, a really nice time and you're about to, to hear that interview, obviously. Um, we speak about uh, growing up and meeting the band at school. We speak about the formative years of White Lies when they were um, they put out some records under the name uh, Fear of Flying, uh, some of the tours they were doing then, uh, through to becoming what felt like um, one of the sort of most talked about bands in the UK very quickly. Um, and it seemed like White Lies just exploded uh, into the, the music press and, 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 and such and all over the radio. Um, and I discussed that uh, with Harry as well, like, you know, how that was for them and, and how that was for him as well, being the, the person at the front of the stage for, for this. Um, before we get on with the episode, um, just want to thank uh, 76 for producing this podcast. Um, thanks to Scribbis Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thanks to White Lies Manager Nathan McGough for um, uh, putting this together. Um, and thank you to you lot for listening. Um, if you enjoy this, please have a look in the uh, back catalogue because you'll find a, a huge array of podcasts with all manner of musicians, producers, actors, artists, and uh, and there's some real real crackers there to get your teeth stuck into. Um, if that's not enough, then I also have a Patreon page where I put an episode up each week over there, so you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. And if that's not enough and you still feel the need to to listen to more podcasts, then why not check out podbiblemag.com. That's the magazine put together by myself, Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson. Um, it's also got a podcast, a weekly podcast, where we speak to the world's biggest podcasters, where they talk about their pods and the podcasts that they're listening to. So you can find out about that at podbiblemag.com. And before we get on with today's episode, if you want to find out about the Patreon, if you want to find out about everything else, merchandise, blah, 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 off the beaten track podcast.com. Okay, back to uh, today's episode. Please enjoy Off the Beaten Track Podcast with Harry McVie of White Lies. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. 
because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off yeah. The Beat & Track right. podcast yeah, on the Distraction PC Network. Stu with me. Hello. Hi. Breaking your podcast up. I am, yeah. First um, time, uh, yeah. Um, well, I'm ve- I feel very honoured that, uh, that it's on Off The Beaten Track. Um, we've never met before, so we've, um, we've, this has been arranged via um, your manager, yeah. uh, Nathan McGough. Nathan McGough. Um, Do you know I'm Nathan, sure, I'm sure Nathan's got... I don't know him that well, but obviously I know of him. Yeah. He did manage, um, he did manage a band uh, that I know uh, many years ago called Smother. Okay, um, I haven't even heard about them. <laughs> it was a long time ago. They were they were fellow um, Essex lads, and I'm sure I'm sure Nathan was involved with them. Um, but obviously, um, being 46 years of age and and being a, a massive fan of the Happy Mondays, yeah. I know all the stories yeah. uh, about them, and obviously Towers of London as well. Yeah, so I'm yeah. sure there's some. I, I'm, I'm sure you know, it'd be a, should, a very interesting. I was going to say you should get him. <laughs> you should get him on the podcast. Yeah, he'd have lots of good stories for you for sure. Um, Okay, well, um, what we should do uh, first is kick things off with track one, which is the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to choose songs based on any sort of question like that, because okay. it's like infinite. Yeah. I think it's totally based on your mood at the time. Completely. So when I, did, when I put these tracks together, most of them, like, they just sort of, they just sort of popped into my head, you know. But yeah. with this one, I just got, I opened up Spotify and started to listen to a few of my right. favourite records. And that, the album that it, this track is from is definitely one of my favourites. So it's Fair, Fairies Wear Boots by Black mm. Sabbath. And I think the reason that the intro is so good is because it's really long, first of all. And it's almost like three separate songs before the singing even starts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so exciting. I just think they're one of the best bands ever. I mean, Paranoid's quite an intro as yeah, well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but so what what I, I generally like to ask guests, uh, especially um, songwriters, is how much importance do you put on on intro uh, <laughs> when you're writing, and also has that changed since maybe the early days of of, of White Lies to, to to modern day in regards to the way that that people listen to music now in regards to it's so disposable now that this music is like is just there thrust upon you so much there do you feel that you still have to hook them quite quickly do, do you know can you see yeah, what I'm trying to go know, with I know this what you mean. Yeah. Sort of Spotify generation now maybe different from writing for radio back when White Lies first formed yeah I think it's hard to talk about in, in sort of in general um, obviously we can only talk about our own experiences but I would say that um, by and large nowadays we we have more freedom I think to do that kind of you know, kind of wilder stuff like a crazy intro or, or a seven or eight minute song yeah. than we did when we first started. Because um, when we first started, it was all about, like everything that we that we did to advance our career was all about getting our songs on the radio. Yeah. And to do that, they need to be much punchier, I think, than, mm-hmm. than something on a Spotify or any other streaming service. Um, yeah, I think like, we're told now by our management more than anything else, like you just need to do something unique and it needs to stand out and, and make a bit of a statement so mm. that people talk about it, you know. And then that's that's kind of all you need. Like if people it's one of the best things about Spotify I think is when you when you're when you're thinking about checking out an album or a song, like you can just do it straight yeah. away, there and then. There's no like there's no like um, financial implication. Yeah. You can just you can just listen to what you like and make up your own mind. And I think that if you have a song that gets people talking, then loads of people will check it out and hopefully yeah. check out the rest of the album or whatever else. I think an example of that would be on our last album. We had a, you know, the first track that we put out there was a song called "Time to Give," which is like a seven and a half minute 
kind of almost prog rock song, I guess. And you're saying that would never have made the first White Lies album? It, it might have made it, but it would have been like one of the last songs we put on it. Sure. And it wouldn't really have been spoken about because, yeah. you know, because everyone's access or, or entry into the album would have been through the songs they heard on the radio. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the first the first album, we just ha- we had to kind of trim the songs down a lot, you know, and, and cut out all of the fluff and yeah. make sure that it was really direct and it worked well on radio. But um, that's is that generally the case for, for for debut albums by a lot of kind of bands anyway? It's got to I be think, well, like, 100 mile an hour. It's got to be, yeah, you know, the, it's that first album. Yeah, and that's why I was saying, like, I can only speak from our own experience because I'm sure there's a lot of artists now who still rely a lot on the radio yeah. and a lot of bands even that, that, that that's their kind of, that's their breakthrough. That's how they get yeah. into the mainstream. Um, but for us, it's uh, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of happened the other way around. And I guess like moving away from a major label, which we did after the third yeah. album, and kind of having to cut your own path a little bit more, we were we kind of felt more able to to do that. I guess. How does that sort of does that create a different pressure and, and in sort of and ease another pressure in regards to having that that freedom to to not have to kind of you know having the label going well, we need this, we need these amount of singles, you know, does yeah. it? How does that affect the kind of, you know, the, the the writing process? Does it feel more relaxed now? It is. Um, I mean, it's always hard work writing. It's always hard work. I mean, whether you're trying to write something specific or whether you're just trying to write anything, it's it's hard to. It's it's just a, you know, doing. I guess any any kind of creative process is hard trying to get it right because there's yeah. no there's no like right or wrong answer to anything you do in music. Yeah. It's it's all completely subjective. I think that we do sometimes. I mean, we do we do perhaps put a bit of pressure on ourselves to, to deliver a, a track or two on the record that's that's very accessible, that's easy yeah. to that's that's just like immediate, you know, you can you can understand it and and you can feel you the vibe of the song like straight away. Yeah. And there are some that are more kind of that you have to think about a bit more, maybe listen to a few times. Yeah. Um but I think we feel that pressure from our fans more than anything else. Like I feel we're we're not like a huge band by any stretch of the imagination, but we always have a solid business. We can always tour in Europe and play to, you know, a thousand or two thousand people a night. And I think those are the people we think about the most. Is like, what are they? What's what's going to get those people coming back to a show? What's what what is the the kind of distinctive element of White Lies? What is what is what are the ingredients that make up a White Lies song that's going to keep people coming to the shows, keep people engaged in the band? Um, And we do think about that a lot. But I think we're lucky because. I feel like we share a lot of our musical taste with our fan base. Yeah. We don't have to do anything like too, too um, out of our comfort zone in order to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. Okay. Track two, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact. Yeah. On you. So there's a bit of a story behind this. Um, I played Irish music for years and years when I was when I was growing up. Um, my mum, well, both my parents, but my mum especially, was always keen for me to to really study music and understand it and and I started I started playing music when I was about four years old I played the violin okay and I played classical music on that until I was about 11 or 12 yeah. and when I started to get bored with that she kind of noticed and she um she started taking me to lessons in there's an Irish center in Hammersmith just off the Hammersmith roundabout so I started going there and, and I really engaged with that music because it was totally different like outside of the classical discipline you had loads of room to improvise or, or to to make the music more exciting, I suppose. And so, yeah, I just got really into it from that. And I guess that was why I was drawn to the Pogues outside of a fairy tale, to, uh, a fairy tale of New York, which everyone knows, obviously. Mm. Um, but I, I first started listening to the Pogues about around that age, and this song always really stuck with me. A pair of brown eyes. Um, I think it was just. I think there's a lot in that song that I didn't understand at the time. Like it's very. It's very kind of. I still don't really understand what it's about, but it's, it feels like very mournful and like, like someone's had to do a lot of things that's re- that have really kind of fucked up their lives, mm. and all they're remembering is this pair of brown eyes. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just just very very beautiful beautiful song. I still I still really love it to, to this day. It's the the, the song for, for me. Uh, I said to you before we started recording, you've chosen a song that's one of my favourite records, yeah. and, 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 and this it, is the one. This is the yeah. one, yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 this come from buying the twelve inch of Fairy Tale, yeah. Uh, when it come out as a kid, and the B side was a live version of this, yeah. And I prefer this, yeah. And just, but it does. It sounds, it sounds laced with tragedy, doesn't yeah. it? And yeah. it's like it's a 
For, for anyone that's, I mean, uh, obviously there'll be a, a Spotify playlist of all of uh, Harry's choices, and yeah, if you've never heard this track, and you know your your only knowledge of the Pogues is uh, is fairy tale, then go and listen to to, to this track because it's a yeah. it's a beautiful record. I think I find him so inspiring as a singer as well. I think he's yeah. one of the best ever because he he sings like he's talking to you, yeah, and like or almost sometimes like he's cornered you in a in a bar or something, you yeah, know, and he's just talking your ear off, but. But yeah, it's just so beautiful that kind of effortless, effortless singing. He, yeah, just like a real talent, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so pleased he's still going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, with the greatest respect, I think we're all a bit surprised yeah. because, blimey, you know, to, <laughs> to 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 put the booze away the way he has for, well, blimey, what thirty yeah. odd years. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, he's got his new teeth. Yeah, they look great. They still, I, yeah. <laughs> He still apparently goes to that same pub, like I think it's the underworld, isn't it? And Camden, or well, not the underworld. What's above the un- the end of the world, or something like that? Oh, above, is that above where he the drinks? Underworld, yeah, right. I think he, I think he still drinks in there, but um, I've never seen him. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd like to either. I'd oh, kind yeah. of like to remember him as he was, you know. But. I've I've got quite a, a a mad little Shane McGowan story, which I've, I don't think I've ever mentioned on this on this podcast. Um, I went to the NME Awards many yeah. years ago, um, and I got spiked. Right, and it freaked me out yeah. because uh, I'm 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 quite a clean living guy, yeah, and uh, and I didn't know what was was going on. And the guy that I was with had won an award, and so he was backstage doing all the press bit. And I think Paul Weller had, was was closing it, and he was pl- playing jam stuff. And I was super excited to hear Weller play jam music, yeah, but I didn't know what was going on. And my mates come out and said to me, "Oh my God, what has happened to you?" And I've sort of looked up, and there's a guy sitting next to me telling me, just chill out, you're going to be all right. <laughs> Shane McGowan. Oh, no way. So you know you're in a state yeah. when Shane McGowan's trying to sort you out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, a pair of brown eyes by the Pogues, how would that have affected you emotionally? What was that emotion, Harry? Um, I don't know. I, I think I just I think I think just connected with the song and felt the... I don't know, because I, I guess... The meaning of the song is, is kind of ambiguous, but his emotion isn't really. It's yeah. very like it's like an outpouring like Completely. of of like nostalgia and, and grief, I guess, yeah. and, and longing for this for maybe a different time or, or a person or whatever else. And I just think it's really easy to to empathise with that and connect with that. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Where was home then? Oh, I grew up in West London, Shepherd's okay. Bush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did, did did the Irish music just happen via going to an Irish centre? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, and I I got really into it because I I mean I love like the the fact that most of it's like dance music. It's like very the structure of it's very regimented, and you have to play it really fast. But there's loads of scope in that to to kind of improvise and to add little embellishments and yeah. and little tricks and here and there. Um, yeah, and I got when I left. Um, in fact, even when I was in school. I got uh, licensed to busk on the underground. That's what I used to play. I used to play Irish music. Really? Yeah. So I used to play at Liverpool Street, which is around the corner from That's here. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So it kept me tidied over for a long time. It was like a big part of my life, for sure. Right. Yeah. So what, that, that kind of helped facilitate and pay the bills while you was getting the band up and yeah, running? Yeah, kind stuff. of, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Like, you used to have, you used to, have to take like... 150 quid in, in pound coins. I was about to yeah. say, like, how much does a busker generally make on a day shift? <laughs> it, it, can, it really depends. Like, yeah. it, people used to, like, really fight over the best spots at the best time. Right. Because you, you see them on the underground, you know, like yeah. the, the, the kind of semi-circular pitches yeah. that you get. And so I don't know how it is now, but when I was doing it, you used to book those on the internet. They would all come up online, like, 9 a.m. on a Monday. I never used to get up to get the good spots. Yeah. So I didn't really mind that much. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and then you just book the slots in that you want, and then right. yeah, like my best my best day was I think when I I bust at um, Westminster Station on the state opening of Parliament, and it's right. my it's my girlfriend, my now wife, uh, um, who spotted that that might be a good opportunity because she knew that everyone yeah. would be going into into work on the tube, so I had like yeah. crowds of people eight in the morning going past me, Brilliant. and I yeah I earned about like seventy pounds an hour that day. But, wow! Yeah, but it can really depend. Like, What's the stint? How long do you get? You I'm get, just curious. I've always wondered like you, how, the, how these things happen. You get a couple of hours, right? And you can like when I was really strapped for cash, and I'd usually try and find a spot where there was like two two-hour sessions free, and yeah. just book it for four hours and play for as, as long as I could. Right. But um, yeah, you get a two-hour slot, and you just have to keep playing and, and hope people listen to a bit of it and chuck chuck you a few few quid and change. Yeah. 
It's so weird, isn't it? I, just, but, I had no idea that it was like you go online and book your yeah, spot. Like. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it was like a proper like official thing and it was really, like the audition process was really bizarre as well. Audition? Yeah, you have to, you have, you have to, they have to make sure that you're not like just chancing it, you know. Yeah. And, and I don't think the quality was that high, but they just made sure that you could play something and you were actually playing. You weren't just like miming or whatever or... or and I guess, like, also that your performance was appropriate. It wasn't like a, like a massive stack of speakers behind you, or whatever else. And so what, you, you rock up and do yeah, and play and, in front of like yeah. A... And the audition was was wild because it was in like I think it was in like Baker Street Tube or something like that, one of the old older tube stations. And the audition was behind like a door in a corridor in the tube station, and it was like an abandoned part of the the station. Right. And they just put a table in there. And it was like X Factor. There's like three people just That's sit and amazing. listen to you play a couple of couple of tunes, and then say whether you got it or not. What did you and play? You, Can you remember? Um, I played Irish music, so it'd have been like jigs and reels. Yeah. 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 Um, fast as I could, you know, that kind of thing. Brilliant. And it was it was great. I like I, I have, you know, um, it gave me so much that time and that and that that um, that experience because. I think it really taught you how to perform without any sort of shame, you know, and, and especially seeing as you were performing for the most part to people who had no interest in what you were doing yeah. and were just walking past. And that was kind of cool because you were still playing in public, but yeah. you weren't like worrying about the crowd or entertaining people. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. It was like, I re definitely took a lot of that with me, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. I've, literally, I've always wondered how that all works. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Track three. The song that reminds you of your time at school. Yeah, Queens of Stone Age. It's got to be. Yeah, from the from the album uh, Songs for the Deaf. And uh, you think you think I ain't worth a dollar, but I'm I feel like a millionaire, which is the opening track. And I just love them so much in school. And I was trying to think like there the was secondary like, school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's there's like a lot of um, there's a lot of like indie classics that we grew up with that probably informed White Lies a lot more. But this was the band that I remember like going home and listening to on my yeah. own and like or listening to with mates like getting. I don't know, getting a few beers or getting getting stoned or whatever. Yeah. And you just um, like spent hours playing air guitar or drumming or air drumming to that to yeah. that album. I just thought it was like the most badass, coolest yeah. album ever. Yeah. And I love how and it's, yeah, this song's like a great example of of like because it starts with that little radio chatter mm. and skipping through the stations. And yeah. I thought that was so cool as well. I still think it's really cool. It's like great concept for an album, like jumping through radio stations when you're on a drive through the desert. Yeah, totally. Know? Yeah. So was was school in London? Yeah, I went to school in Hammersmith. How yeah. was it? I enjoy school. Yeah, like I, we were very lucky. We all went to a private school. Um, Jack and I went to the same school called uh, called Latimer in Hammersmith, and um, and we loved it. We had a good time in school. It's definitely what what enabled us to do what we do now. You know. Oh, that's like, interesting because yeah. I, I I like to ask um, was creativity encouraged at school? Um, it. I'm not sure if it, if it was necessarily to do with creativity, but I think we were always, always encouraged in school to... to we, we were always kind of told that you can do whatever you want to do or, like, you can definitely have a go at doing whatever you want to do. Like, you, you, you know, you were, you were kind of bigged up and told that you, that, you, that you were clever and that what you were doing was good and you were supported in doing things that were good and, um, and treated like adults as well, I think, especially when you got in, we got into, like, sixth form. And yeah, that was very informative for us. Like, if you if you spend time working hard and 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 you believe in in what you're doing, then you'll have a chance at, at being successful. You know, and that was great for us. Yeah. What did you want to be when you was at school? I, I think I always wanted to be a musician. To yeah. be honest, yeah, I didn't know really what, and I, I think that I always knew that that was the only thing that I was good at. Um, like naturally, you know. Like I could, I wasn't particularly good at sport or or academically. I yeah. I couldn't really be bothered to do any of the work. But with music, I just found that it came to me naturally. Like I'd always want to pick up an instrument and play it if it was in front of me. And what did you learn first? I learned the violin first, and then and then I started learning Irish music, and then I picked up the piano around the same time as I started playing guitar. I was always nagging my mum for a guitar. Yeah. And I think that albums like this were what kind of push me into that world like yeah. wanting to make some of those sounds like cool sounds that they make That's a big jump album. from Irish music yeah yeah for sure um, yeah still that, played that, hard and fast though I guess yeah yeah that but that and, and I think Jimi Hendrix was really important to me growing up as well I, I can't I think it was my mum like when I first showed an interest in like bands she suggested listening to that and, I, and it kind of just blew my mind what he was able to do with a guitar so was the music on at home growing up uh, yeah yeah all the time my mum was always into, into music and she'd always like 
you know, we always sat down and had dinner together. She'd always put on a record or two, you know, oh, while really? we were eating. Yeah. And it would usually be like, in those days it was CDs, so yeah. you'd usually just leave the one in from the yeah. night before until you get bored of it, you know. So you'd listen to the same album every night. But what sort of stuff? All sorts. Like, yeah, my mum always had good taste in music. She, you know, a lot of like reggae and things like that, a lot of world music. Um, stuff like, uh, like Graceland, Paul Simon. Yeah. Like, I think that was a, a, just a parent's classic. Everyone yeah. I speak to, their parents always put it on the car or whatever. Um, and then stuff like, even really wild stuff like, like um, Ronnie Size, I got really into drum and bass and stuff like that because my mum always used to put it on. Your mum was into Ronnie Size? Yeah, yeah. That's a great cool I think it won the Mercury Prize, that album, though, didn't right, it? That's right, it did, yeah. yeah. And so maybe that's how she heard about it. But yeah, stuff like that. Um, but really just all sorts, classical music as well, we li- yeah. listen to a lot of. And, that's yeah. a great blend of music yeah. to get exposed to growing yeah. up. And I think, you know, it was, yeah, it's just, just that variety of music and just like, really, I guess, engaging with things and trying to understand them that I got from my parents and my mum especially, yeah. And so was, was early incarnations of bands being put together when you was at school? Yeah, we started playing together as White... Well, not as White Lies, but the three members of White Lies. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Charles and Jack started playing together when we were about 14, 15, I think. Okay. Um, so me and Charles had kind of struck up a friendship when we were 14... And we realised quite quickly that we were both into playing music and I had a guitar, he had a bass. So we used to like hang out in each other's bedrooms just playing playing along to, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers or Queens yeah. of Stone Age or whatever else. And um, Charles was playing in a, in a kind of another band that, he, that, that he'd formed with just friends of his from Ealing where he grew up. And, um, and I kind of wormed my way into that on vocals because no one wanted to sing because they found it too terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I did too, to be honest, but it was the only thing left to do. And then... And then shortly after that, Charles and I were like, well, we should just make a band together. And we'd heard that Jack, just down the road, he went to my school, but had been friends with Charles since, like, primary school. They live really close to each other. But he'd heard that he'd just got a drum kit. And so we thought, well, he's the only person with a drum kit that we know. Yeah. So we just formed a band together yeah. and started just messing around, you know. It's never hard to get a gig if you're a drummer, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a, yeah. He's such like, like a, it'll do. Such like a cumbersome <laughs> instrument as well. Yeah, no one wants yeah. to carry that around. Yeah. And um, yeah, we used to just like save up pocket money and book like these sh- shitty rehearsal studios around yeah. some Acton Way and stuff like that, and and slowly but surely just started playing playing music together. But I kind of always believed, I think, from the start that we could make a go of it, mm. that we that you know that we definitely stood a chance of of being successful at some point. Yeah. Was was you a confident kid? Um, not really. I was always. I think I was always confident in music because it kind of came to me quite easily. Mm. Um, but uh, but outside of that, not really. Like just normal, I think. Not, neither confident nor unconfident. What about attention? Did you like attention? Um, I always think that cause it's got to be a small part of starting a band. Like because performance is such a huge part of being in a band and wanting to sort of show off. Mm. But I think when you're a kid, it's you know it, it took me a long time to learn that performance is about engaging with an audience and not just sort of showing off. You know mm-hmm. or or trying to do something that's really cool, or just playing the songs and thinking the songs will be enough. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to adapt yourself and, and you have to kind of embrace people and, and get them on your side, mm-hmm. which has taken me a, a long time to learn. I think I've only really started to, to do it to a kind of average level in the last few years. Really. Oh, you're selling yourself <laughs> short there, mate. <laughs> um, okay, um, for track four, uh, can you remember the first song you bought from a record shop? Yeah. Well, no, because your question was the first. Yeah, the first song. Yeah. So I, th- yeah. I took that to mean a single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bought yeah, Chef uh, Chocolate Salty Balls, and I think I think everyone my age had that record. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, Isaac was, Hayes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, Isaac Hayes. So and mm. it's actually like I was looking, I was looking up in preparation for this, like mm. who actually made this track, and I think it was produced by Rick Rubin as well. Really? So it's like a legit, like a legit track, you know, like a really. Stop good... trying to make it cool, mate. Yeah. <laughs> You've had three great records so far. You've got to have another. Yeah, but I kind of think it is. You know, like I kind of think it is kind of wild, like and and sort of cool that the, the mm. guys, the South Park creators, managed to get that kind of team together, like. Isaac Hayes doing the voice of Chef is so wild. So crazy. It's so wild, yeah. Yeah, it's so mad. But um but yeah, and it's kind of a great track, like for a comedy track. It kind of it just really works. It did go to number one. And my manager my manager sent me um a little fact about that, which was that it was the second time that a number one single 
has, has had its name like blanked out on the top 40 charts. And the first time was Anarchy in the UK, Sex Pistols. And they just like, they just didn't write the name of the song. I think they wrote, maybe wrote like, it was Sex Pistols or Chef from South Park, really? but they didn't write the name of the song so they thought it was too offensive, you know. <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side do you know what it's, it's strange I, I have these conversations every now and again and um, I've had guests on here that, that, that grew up, you know, and, and were, were of an age where they were experiencing music in 77, 78 yeah. in, in London. And and I, I just find it crazy that looking back now, knowing what we know living in the world we are now, the furore yeah. and the outrage of someone saying fuck on a TV yeah. show yeah. And, or just having wild hair yeah, and it's yeah. like the outrage that that caused and yeah. it was you know clearly it needed to happen yeah but it's just it's almost laughable isn't it when yeah. you look back and you just think like hey, it absolutely yeah. upset the whole and country. i guess i guess that's why they did it because it wasn't really about the name of the song because yeah. it is kind of an innocent innuendo i suppose yeah yeah but it was more about like people being scared of South Park, I think. Yeah. And like how uh, outrageous it was and, and yeah. seemingly offensive. But but I still watch South Park even now. Like right. I still go through all the series every now and again, and, and I just love it so much. It's, it's, it's so good. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, those, those boys know this stuff as yeah. well. Um, can you remember where you bought it? Um, I think it might have been on. I think I bought all my records at that time because I used to go record shopping with my mum. It was probably on High Street Ken. I think it was. I think maybe like maybe there was maybe like a Tower Records there or something right, like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I would have bought it from there. I think. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, track five. A song that soundtrack your years in Clubland. Yeah. So I never really had any years in Clubland. If you I did, think, you've chose a good song. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of went, I, I went clubbing a few times when I was younger, but I was never that into it. But I remember I chose this track, which, uh, which is Window Licker by FX Twin, because it did soundtrack a lot of, a lot of my teenage years. I got really into, um, amongst lots of other music, electronic music around the age of like 14, 15, because I was actually maybe a bit older than that, 15, 16. Because I was doing, um, I chose Music Tech as one of my, my A-level options. And that's kind of like that kind of music's really 
it's not easy to do, but it's one of the easiest to do just in the box, like in the computer, nothing else. And just like trying to glitch out and break things and yeah. do, do crazy things with sequences or whatever else. And, yeah. and um, I think that was that track, even now, is still like the pinnacle of that genre of music, like the complexity of it, the, the kind of way that the sounds are sculpted and, and the flow of the track. Um, but then also one of my only experiences of clubbing was going to see Aphex Twin in, um, what's, that, what's that club underneath um, London Bridge Station called? Even if it's still, I don't even even know if it's still there. Was that the den? No, no. it was like under the arches, and uh, maybe it was called SE One. Right. Okay. Um, I might have got that wrong, um, but anyway, yeah, I remember going to see him there, and it was one of those gigs. Like I think he always did it, where he, where he, um, he didn't he didn't like come out and play. He was performing supposedly backstage, and he yeah. was playing a lot of his tunes. But the tunes were great, and it was the first time I took ecstasy as well, so I just had the best time yeah. with, with, with my mates and, and listening to Aphex Twin. And so, yeah, that song will always, will always stick with me and remind me of that, that time in my life, for sure. So was there never sort of... Did, did you never go to... Uh, I, I think sometimes when I mention Clubland, people just presume this kind of sort of Ibiza-esque or kind of like chrome high street kind of commercial dance club. Did you ever go to like indie clubs? And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we used to do that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Was Where like, was that? We used to go to um, Madame Jojo's yeah. for White Heat. Yeah. I think we played it a few times, even when we were like yeah. 15, 16, 17. Um, that was always good fun. And then we used to go to, um, it was called Frog in... Uh, yeah. In, um, what, what was that? Um, at the... Was it the Astoria? Is that what that place was called? I think or so. Or Mean Fiddler or whatever. You it, know, was, the, it was yeah, at the Astoria, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Tottenham Court Road. And that was always good fun. We, used to, we like, occasionally used to DJ there. We used to hand out flyers so we'd get in for free. Yeah. And I think the people who ran that or were a big part of it, um, they released our first single when we were called uh, Fear of Flying. Um, they released off, we, we released two seven inches with them, which are still floating around somewhere. I think and what label was that? They were called Young and Lost. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we, um, we had a great time. A great time with that. That was a good time in our lives. Yeah, kind of, you know, really kind of thought we'd made it when we released the single. And then, yeah, but yeah. Do, do you know what? Like, you know, obviously you've gone on to achieve loads of things, and you've, you've won awards, and you've played to thousands and thousands of people. But I mean, be honest and tell me if if I'm wrong. But in them early moments of like getting your first record, is yeah. that? feel just as good as any of the other bits yeah I think so you definitely feel like you're moving in the right direction yeah. you know yeah and like something that you've always wanted yeah. and and yeah and it's just exciting I think we were just most excited to play lots of shows and to yeah. and to potentially go on tour which we also did a few times we, we played we did two tours early on Fear Flying the one with um, Jamie T and one with the Maccabees and they were both like so lovely to us, but we were like rabbits and headlights, you know. Yeah. We used to go to the gigs on National Express and like sleep on, you know, mates' floors or sofas yeah. or whatever every night. And um, but yeah, it was good times. I good. mean, could you have been in any nicer company than the Maccabees? Oh, yeah, they're, so they're, so nice to us. They're yeah. the loveliest people and ever. And they're aren't still they? really nice to us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, what they're good boys. They yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, track six. Favorite song from an artist from your home county. Yeah, I went for Pet Shop Boys. Love oh, comes mate. quickly. Um, I mean, there was obviously so many you could go for from London. And at first, I was or gonna, from the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, <laughs> or from the Pet Shop Boys. I was going to try and narrow it down to Shepherd's Bush, and I was like looking at all the artists around there, and I was thinking like I could choose a, a track from the Who, and I do really like the Who, but I don't really feel like the Who, like they don't encapsulate London, mm-hmm. whereas the Pet Shop Boys really do. I think like. And I was uh, again. I was going to go for West End Girls, oh. and I was, and I got that album out and listened to all. But then I just realised that I, lo- I think Love Comes Quickly is a better track. Yep. So so powerful that song, and I couldn't it's a great agree with piece, you. Great piece of pop music, and so, I think his voice is beautiful. I think oh. yeah, I think it's great. I mean, th- did you see them last year at Hyde Park? No, oh. I've never seen them. I'd love oh, to see them play. Mate. Well, it got announced yesterday that they're doing a huge tour in America at the moment only. Yeah, well, New, they'll come to the UK. With as New well. Order. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. I mean, Great that, build. that's a double up, that yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but uh, they've just released another, a new record as well, I think, haven't they? They did, yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't listened to any of that yet. but It's all right. It's, it's all right. But this, I just, I mean, how did you, you know, as I say, at 46, 
they felt just right for me. You're yeah. a very young man to be into the Pet Shop Boys. Where did that come from? I think from? it took a long time for me to get into them because, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Like, when you're growing up, they just, the music just seems really cheesy. Yeah. And, like, and, it, and it is. Yeah. And, and, but, it's, but as I've got older, I think, and, as, and after, you know, writing a lot more songs ourselves, I think I kind of realised that it's just great pop music. It's really well written. It's 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 so it feels so effortless what mm. they're doing, and it's not easy to write pop music, yeah. is it? And I and I and I just love that they that they really wear that on their sleeves. Like I watched um, a really great. You know, remember Vice used to do, or maybe they still do, like these songwriters mm. interviews where they did like a really in depth interview with different songwriters, yeah. and and they did the one with Neil Tennant, and just listening to him talk about how much he kind of worshipped pop music you know yeah. and and just i guess just invested all of his time in yeah. becoming a great pop star even though to look at him you wouldn't think that that would be possible necessarily you know and well he was a writer for smashes wasn't yeah, he yeah. as well yeah. so obviously there was a, a huge love of pop from from day one yeah and but yeah just uh, yeah i just love it i just think it's and it's a great record as well the whole album's great <sighs> yeah I, 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 I saw them last year um they, they, they were one of my faves, the Pet Shop Boys, and they didn't play this, uh, which was a shame, Love Comes Quickly, because it's one of my favourites yeah. from that album. They did play Western Girls. They come on to Suburbia, yeah. which oh, it's great. just sounded awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think, actually, Western Girls could have easily been my choice for a song that made me emotional. Yeah. Just didn't make me emotional that young, but I think every time you're like on a night out and you're getting, getting pissed... Yeah. Especially if you're in East, I live in West London in Acton. But if you, if if you're in East London, and you get an Uber home at like two or three in the morning, whatever, and you drive across from east to west, yeah. and that song comes on the radio, it's so powerful. I think, I think. it's just yeah. like just sums up the feeling of London so well. It's quite like, grimy, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, and the, but, I, well, it's not. It's not just grimy. It's like the mixture yeah. of like really nice posh. Yeah. You know, beautiful West End posh girls, yeah. and then East End boys, yeah, and, then, it's and then like. London being that melting pot where they all come together and the East End boys can chase the West End girls, you know. I just love love that. I think it's great. One of the greatest bass lines ever. Yeah, of course. So good. Yeah. So good. Um, okay, so before we get on to uh, the, the, the final track, which I'm going to let you announce because um, it's <laughs> way too much of a mouthful for me. Um, so Fear of Flying becomes White Lies. Yeah. And then... As somebody like uh, I'm a I'm a DJ in, in an indie DJ and and it felt like White Lies happened and exploded very quickly. Yeah. Like how how was that for you? It was it was great. Um, it was yeah. It was it was it's an interesting it was an interesting time when we signed because it was you know I guess it was kind of the start of the music industry transitioning into uh, a totally different business model. But we were on like the front end of that, so we we kind of got all of this exposure really early on before we'd even signed a record deal, just through the internet. And um, was this MySpace? MySpace, then? yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, and um, and that was really wild for us, like suddenly being contacted and called up by all these people in the industry wanting to wanting to work with us. Um, and it and it kind of felt like a whirlwind, to be honest. Like um, it was just you know, it felt like just our arrival I think felt the same to us as it probably did to everyone else like we kind of came out of nowhere and then suddenly we were the busiest band in the UK and I think for the first couple of years we were we played like 50 festivals in our first proper year after the the album came out we probably played 200 plus shows a year and we've always we've always said ever since like if someone put that schedule in front of us now we would just outright refuse you know because it's such hard work and it's and it kind of really drains you after a while but we were so young and naive and just wanted to take it all in and do yeah. everything you know at the time um but yeah it was incredibly exciting and i don't really feel like we knew what we'd what we'd stumbled into or what we had until much later i don't uh, think anybody yeah. probably would would yeah. they it's something that you've got no experience of being in that until you do it i guess yeah. but no one ever says to you when you're in a band like oh you've got a career now you're sorted but we yeah. kind of did like we knew that we'd be all right for at least a couple more records, even though we maybe didn't feel like that way at the time. Um, and that, yeah, that foundation and that excitement about the first album and, and everything that we were, we were doing at that time still is still um, something, I think, which keeps us going now and which people still want to come back to the shows and see that, that kind of... the energy and, and the songs on the first album. Yeah. And for you, as the front man, 
Yeah. Uh, how did you deal with, with with being the sort of focal point of you know being on stage playing all these festivals, everybody looking at you, listening to what you've got to say? How, how did you cope with the pressure of that? Uh, I think I dealt with it by mm, trying not to be the front man or the typical front man. You know, like uh, when we yeah the first few years, we would always just kind of I don't know like overly polite. We would just walk on stage, play the songs, thank everyone, and leave, and that yeah. was kind of it. There was no like interaction with the crowd yeah. or. There was no kind of bravado or showing off or, or strutting up and down the stage and yeah. doing stuff like that. Um, that was kind of something we had to learn a lot later. So I think I dealt with it that way by being shy and kind of retreating a bit yeah. into the songs. But that was all right because the songs were good and yeah. and people really liked them, you know. So if you got yeah. good songs, you can hide behind. Yeah, them, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Brilliant. still what we try and do now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then so. How's, how's the rest of the journey been in, in, in White Lies? I mean, there are always, I mean, there are always ups and downs in any, anyone's career, you know, in, what, in, 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 in whatever job you do. But um, to this day, I still feel very lucky that we're, we're able to keep going. People still come to the shows. I think we're still writing good music. I think some of the songs on uh, our last album, Five, were, were some of the best that we've, we've ever done. And so we just, you know, we just keep pushing forwards. And, and yeah. I guess... We kind of understand the process now. We know when to take a step back, take some time off and kind of uh, recuperate at home and reconnect with everyone back in London. But yeah. then, you know, when we get an itch, we'll start writing again and then the whole the whole cycle kind of starts again. So our life, I guess, moves in cycles with the band. You're kind of... From when you start writing a record, you know that you're going to be spending the next 18 months or two years working yeah. either on either on writing and recording or uh, and then but then also touring afterwards and it kind of starts the whole thing off again you know that's a lovely position to be in isn't yeah. it to be able to go back and you know get the, the I mean, balance uh, yeah. of life again and know that when you're ready you can go back and there's people waiting yeah that's, that's as i said it, yeah it's we feel very fortunate and also we just had a great year last year because we just did those um those two brixton shows for t for the 10 year anniversary to lose my life and that was so exciting because we haven't done the we haven't played in Brixton Academy since that first album. So yeah. it's like a proper, a proper reunion of of all the people and the music that yeah. we that we were playing at that time in the coolest venue, in the coolest venue, the best venue in the world, I think. Yeah, um, and we just had a blast doing that, and it felt like a good moment for us because it was a bit of a punt um, doing those shows in that in that venue. It's quite it's a bit of an oversell for us, I suppose. But we filled we filled both nights and. People are still into the band, you know, and they yeah. still want to come to this. To the so show, was so. that was that a consideration when you booked it? Of like, course, yeah, I mean, it always is. Yeah, yeah. you want you don't want to you don't want to undersell something because yeah. you want to you, you just want to try and get it about right, you know. Yeah. But we thought Brixton might have been two Brixtons might have been pushing it a little bit, yeah. but we were very very pleased that they both sold out. Yeah, oh, what we a lovely over the moment! Moon. To yeah, know you've just just done yeah. two nights of Brixton. I think usually we'd be in like a, a forum, Kentish Town Forum, yeah. or, or Shrewsbury Empire or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, it's a big step up for us to Brixton. It's great. good. It shows yeah. that you matter to people. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, like, those reunion tours are always going to be popular because yeah. that's one of the best things about music is it, or, like, and kind of what we're talking about today, like, it marks moments in your life. Yeah. When you listen to certain albums or certain songs, it just takes you right back. And I think that's why people want to come to that show, you know, and relive that moment in their lives. That's that's really interesting you say that because I've, I spoke to, to lots of musicians and I... And I about this and I spoke to a couple that struggle with nostalgia yeah um, personally I can think of nothing better than going to see the Pixies play Doolittle at yeah. Brixton Academy yeah. like that for me I just think I want to go back there I want to remember how I felt when I was that age and, and it takes me back and it's laced with really lovely memories and, and nostalgia yeah. I'm comfortable with it Are you? what's your thoughts on sort of Bands playing them albums and, and, and things I think, like well, that. having just done it, yeah. I'm going to say it's great. Yeah. But yeah. Before you done that and um, sold out Two Nights of Brixton, you know, was, was it something that you'd go and watch other bands do that? I think you have to do it for the right reasons. Um, and the reason that we wanted to do those shows is because we love that album, I think, as much as our fans do. Yeah. Like, it gave us everything, gave us our whole careers, our whole lives. Yeah. And so, yeah, we were, we were just as excited about celebrating it as I think people were yeah. to come and see it. Um, so I think if it's if it's from that if it if it comes from that place and if it's if it's a genuine if it's a genuine nostalgia I guess or a genuine love for that moment in your life whether as the band putting on that show then then go for it I think yeah. definitely because it's it's just great it's a great feeling it's lovely yeah couldn't yeah. agree more and you and you get to share it with people you know yeah. in a really in, like I know it's Brixton but it feels like in a very intimate way people yeah. responding to the to the music like that is yeah it's great good. Yeah.
Okay, so you, you get to play DJ now, uh, and you, you get to... I mean, I, I probably wouldn't drop this in the club. No. But, um, but you get to turn people on to something that they may not have heard. So for track seven, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Yeah, so um, about uh, four years ago, I moved with my wife to San Francisco, um, and it was for my wife's work. So whenever I was... I mean, I was working a lot over here as well, but whenever I was there, I was sort of off... And I had loads of downtime to enjoy the city, but also to, f to do something. So I decided to take up playing the piano again. And I mentioned earlier, I started learning it when I was like a teenager, 14, but I, had, I kind of stopped playing it in any, in any sort of serious way for the whole of White Lies. And so I decided to pick it up again. Um, and very quickly when I started playing it, I, I, I started to play some, some music by Bach, J.S. Bach. And I found it so captivating, so satisfying to play because even his most simple pieces of music have these layers of complexity, I think, and, and emotion in them yeah. that you unlock the more you, the more you play it. And, and often when you discover something about his music, it just um, opens up more questions that you want answered you know, from, from his music, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so I've chosen a, a piece of Bach's music. Um, this is, uh, it's an organ sonata, number four. Um, I think it's in E minor. And it's performed by Vikinger Olofsson, who is a, an amazing pianist. Um, I started listening to him at the end of last year, and this record only came out last year. It's a collection of, of Bach pieces. Um, and I think he just plays it so, so well. It's very... But this particular piece, I think, is so simple and meditative. It's like a swirling... It's a collection of, like, swirling patterns that just keep... They just kind of keep going. The keys keep changing, and it keeps moving... Um, in a kind of very cyclical way and you kind of feel like there's no start and end to it. It just, yeah. it just kind of envelops you. And I think it's a great example of, of what Bach is uh, amazing at and, and, or was amazing at. And um, it's just beautiful. And I think there's so many pieces on this, on this album. I think if people listen to this, they should check out the rest of the album because it's, it's Bach played really well and, um, and by someone who really understands it, I think. And it's just beautiful. I, I love it so much. I spend I spend loads of my time now, even since we left San Francisco, and even when I get really busy pr practicing piano, like two or three hours a day if I can get it in, and and I play pretty much only Bach. So. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So you're back from San Francisco. Um, yeah. The albums obviously out, and the tours have been done. Yeah. What's what's happening now? Oh, not very much, to be honest. <laughs> it's not great timing. I don't know. Yeah, it's not great timing for like plugging anything. Yeah. Um, we do have a few festivals in the summer. We, what are you we're, doing? We're playing. Um, we're playing one in. Uh, uh, I think it's. I think it's Bingley Live this year or Bradford. We we always we played these festivals a few times before, so it's hard to remember. But I'm gonna have to look it up. It's very embarrassing. But yeah, we, we do have a UK festival up up north, um, and I think there's some talk of uh, a few other ones um, uh, uh, elsewhere in the summer. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're not we're not hugely busy this year. Just doing a, a bit of touring here and there. How um, are you with, with sort of having time on your hands? Uh, I love it to be honest. Um, I'm I'm naturally quite a um, laid-back person. Yeah. Um, for want of a better word, you could call me lazy, I think. But, <laughs> but um, I like I like it when you have time alone at home and and you kind of I don't know check in with yourself a little bit because being on tour is is really fun and and I love the people that we tour with the the band and crew are great but you never really get much time on your own and I love I love just being at home on my own and just having nothing to do you know. Like waking up in the morning, and going, I've got nothing to do today, so let's just see where the day takes me. Yeah. Um, so I've got really into like climbing, for example. Oh, like, really? Yeah. So I spend that's what I spend my time doing. Like I'll either play piano. You go all day into or, a climbing wall. You're not yeah. just climbing inside your no, house. No, are not you? climbing. Well, maybe one day, <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if I have my way. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. Just there's a climbing wall just down the road from me in Acton, and uh, I love climbing there. It's like yeah, it's a great way to clear your head. And then, you know, basically, I think when we when we when we come off tour, for me personally. You just um, you just uh, do nothing until you get so bored that you feel like writing again. Yeah. And then and then you're really keen to really get back into it and and you know flex your creative muscles, I suppose. So when you write White Lies, yeah. Do you feel the need to pick up a guitar, or now you're sitting at a piano? Um, it's any it's any we do any any number of things to mm. be honest. It's usually, it's Charles and I when we write and we sit. We've got a room in my house and it's got all. Of, like a load of instruments in it. Um, it's 
you know, it's nothing particularly flashy, but it's it's kind of all plugged in and it works. So there's a few synthesizers, there's a piano, um, there's a few guitars lying around, and it's kind of whatever whatever t kind of takes your fancy, I guess, and whatever's inspiring in that particular moment. But honestly, usually when we write songs, we'll spend... Charles will arrive at like 10 or 11 in the morning, we'll spend an hour, sometimes two, just drinking coffee and listening to music, like putting records on, um, and just seeing what inspires us or what particular part of something, uh, you know, a song or, or, or an album inspires us. And, um, and then, you know, often the starting point of songs will be to just completely rip that thing off. Like, yeah. usually you try and choose something really specific, like a, even if it's just a tempo or, or a drum groove, and you just, um, I don't know, you just program that in and then just play loads of stuff on top of it and see what kind of captures your, captures your attention and your imagination. Um, I think it's really important as well. Like, we, we often try and sing on things really early. Like, so even if it's just a basic rhythm track, drum machine track and, and, a, and a, a pad, you know, or a basic synthesizer sound behind it, just some chords, and then we'll try and sing on it straight away. Yeah. Um, Charles is great at like writing lyrics on the fly. Like yeah. he's always got stuff in in the bank. I think just yeah. ready to go. And then um, you know you just try and sing a few lines on it and maybe repeat them a few times and yeah. see if you can make it into the rough structure of a song. Yeah. And then you kind of go from there. But um, yeah, and usually if we decide very early on when we're working on a piece of music whether it's going to work or not. Um, you know, once we've recorded a, a verse and a chorus on something, we just know whether. It's something we're going to take forwards. So we usually start like 60 or 70 pieces of music, I think, when we're writing an album. And of those, 10 to 15 will, will make it into the recording studio. That many? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, having said that, on our last album, we only recorded nine. <laughs> we were short. By, usually we have 10 tracks on our album. Right. We only recorded nine on the last album, and we felt like we were one song short. But a couple of the songs were really long, so I think we felt yeah. like we got away with it. But yeah, but, but there's... Yeah, and, and, well, I think also when we get into the studio, especially these days, like there's not a huge amount of money flying around from record labels or even from ourselves to to make an album, not like it was yeah. back in the day. And so you have to be economical with your time in the studio. And and when you're working on something that you know is not going to work, sometimes you just have to ditch it because it just takes too long to mm. to work it into something good, you know. But they're always kind of on the back burner those songs. Yeah. So you can you can revive them later on. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so if people want to find out um, about festival dates and, and stuff, yeah, it'll all be up be on our website, and which is whitelies.com, I, th I think. <laughs> <laughs> I never do any, I never do any of the social media <laughs> stuff or anything. I, mean, I think we like we have a Facebook page and we have yeah. Instagram and all that, and, cool. and, and Twitter. Like the guys yeah. are on that all the time. You don't know the addresses of any of that either. Do you? Uh, I think it's like <laughs> White Lies official, I guess, on Instagram. They got a website Twitter, they're playing somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it won't be. Um, I'm sure it won't be hard to find. I'm trying to find this um, UK festival date, and I and I can't find it. But um, I will. I will find it, and uh, and I will add it to the uh, the information when this this podcast. <laughs> yeah, please comes do. Out. I feel very. Yeah. If anyone who organises, oh, it's at Bingley. It's Bingley Live. I found there we it. Go. There's sixth of uh, September. Wonderful. Yeah. That should be really good fun. Actually, looking forward to that. Great stuff, yeah. Harry. Thank you so much. Oh, it's mate. a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. There you go. Episode done. Harry McVie of White Lies. What an absolute gentleman. Um, had a smashing time with Harry. Um, really, really uh, lovely guy. Um, well, I don't need to tell you that. You've just listened to um, him telling his story for the last hour, so you're quite up to speed on what a gentleman he is. Um, thanks once more for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, please go and have a look in the archives and, and check out some of the, the other episodes if this is your your first venture into Off The Beaten Track. Um, and aside from that, everything else you need to know is at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. We're on all the social medias as well. You can find them on the website, um, all the links. But if you do see us on the socials or you follow us, um, please give us a like, love, share, retweet and all that stuff because it really does help. You know, we, I just want to get the, the word out there. And, and, uh, and yeah, if you can help me grow this podcast, then I'll love you forever. Um, I will see you next time. Thanks once more for listening. And thank you once more to Harry for guesting. See you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but 
definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. 